Hey guys, in this podcast, I chatted with Evan Royalty and Stephen Hancock, creators of SP Overlord. Evan is a longtime YouTuber who first started out making machinimas and then moved up to creating short films for SCP and video game related material. Stephen Hancock also started out machinima and now works as a cinematographer and the director in the film industry. If you enjoyed the podcast, please help us out by following us or reviewing us if you're on Apple Podcasts. Also, spreading the word is a big help. Um, the more you support me, means more time that I get to put into the podcast. Thanks, guys. Enjoy. So, first of all, congrats, guys. Pretty uh, huge undertaking you guys did. Feels good, man. Um, Thanks. Yeah, it's finally over. Yeah, man, how do you how do you feel in general? Are you guys happy with the end product? I'm sure there's nitpicks, of course, but... Uh, I, I feel mean, about the same after every single thing I've done. You know, there's like, you're happy with the reception, but you as the person who made it are like, well, if we could have done it different, we'd have gone back and done this different and this different, but you sort of just have to like suck it up. That's yeah. usually how yeah. it feels every time. I've been having a lot of shower thoughts lately where I was like, ah, oh, man, I wish I wish I would have done this. Like, I mean, spoiler warning. <laughs> yeah. I'm hoping, hoping everyone watches it before they watch this. But like the like the upstairs scene when they ice pender in the hallway, like I was driving home one day and I was thinking like, man, you know, it would have been cool to get like a shot of them, like putting him in like a body bag or uh even a scene where whenever they're about to go into the basement, like them putting their nods down, just it's like there's little details like that, that were kind of that I, that were overlooked because we were so crunched for time. But yeah, I mean, you know what it's like? It's like, it's like when you get into an argument and you're driving away and you're like, <laughs> I should have said that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Actually. Yeah. That, that's exactly what it's like. Why didn't I say that? Yeah. It's exactly that. It's, it sucks. But you know, I mean like, we we've completely obliterated dollhouse's record so i am totally fine with that like we've gotten almost the same amount of comments the video that video got in a year we're about to blast through a million views in four days and it took and it was a quarter of the months. pixel count yeah <laughs> <laughs> like uh and it's a 30 minute video most people don't want to sit through a 30 minute video uh so that's another thing that i that I think is pretty cool is that people actually took the time to sit and watch it and were entertained from start to finish. Uh, and an overwhelming amount of praise from uh, a lot of service members as well that we got oh, a lot of the tactical stuff done correctly, which was good. I mean, like, you know, a little nitpicks here and there, but I mean, with what we had to work with... It's uh, inevitable. Yeah. Way. Yeah. But with what we had to work with, like, they most of them were pretty satisfied and, you know, I'm, I'm okay with that. Like uh, I will say, like you, you, I was I was worried because like one one of the big worries I had from a script was like, okay, well, I know I want it to feel like, oh, you're there from the beginning of an operation, like you're there from the start and you're with them, and so I was like, okay, well, I I want the briefing to be there because like, I don't know, I feel like so many people were confused by the nature of Dollhouse and the way it was formatted because it was just sort of like, boom, you're in, and it's like, you sort of have to figure it all out as they go along, and. I, I wanted it to be a lot more like, hey, here's what's going on, and then and then we can build off that. But like, dude, 
info dumps are dangerous, and anybody who knows anything about writing knows that it's a, generally a bad idea to start your script with literally just somebody giving exposition <laughs> for however long, which in this case was, I think, about two minutes of just mm -hmm. exposition. So making that exciting was not particularly easy. And anybody who read the script brought up the fact that it was not a good idea to, to just give an info dump at the beginning and like, hey, are there ways we can shorten this? And it's like, I tried. And there were a couple lines that did get trimmed, but it wasn't easy. Yeah, if, I mean, for the most part, like a lot of non-film people that had seen it, especially at the premiere, actually were all pretty... Like, they all told me that they were... That it was tense from start to finish. Like, even through the briefing scene. Like, because, like, the way the way the briefing was... that The way Evan paced it and the way that the... Uh, that the music kind of just carried you through it. Um, a lot of people told me, that, like, yeah, I was just, like, grabbing onto my seat the whole time, which I was like, cool. I mean, like, for now, of course, you know, like what Evan said, like, for, like, film people, you know, like, it's like, oh, you not really, and generally not a good idea to put, like, a lot of exposition at the beginning, but if you if if you can make it exciting, then usually people there was um There was an idea that we had for an edit, which we didn't end up going with, obviously, where it was, like, I guess this is just food for thought, but like one of the things that we thought of was like we would start it with the scene of the hole and like Kalinsky going up to the hole and dropping mm. the glow stick or whatever. Um, and then they would have their, their dialogue and then as, as soon as they walk off into the fog, we would cut back to the briefing scene because then that would sort of be the hook instead. And now uh, we never tried that edit, so I don't know how good it would have been, but it's just an idea. <laughs> I forgot about that. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So basically, like almost like a false start, where you're jumping ahead in story, then jumping back. Kind of yeah, because like now, actually, now that I think about it, that might be something I'll, I'll like because I, I had that in mind for another script that I want to do. So I, I don't know, maybe I'll maybe I'll get a chance to do it next time. It's just one of those things where with this one, um, I, I did want to play it safe, but I think a little bit too much to an extent because it's like all right. We got a lot of money on the line and we got to deliver 100%. So like trying to be as linear as possible because most, because you know, you know, like how, you know, normies are like, you know, they'll, if you show them anything different, they'll, you know, complain about it. So it's, it's trying to please everyone. And then, and then once we get past, you know, that hurdle, then we can just do whatever we want <laughs> and people will just That's like, watch, thing, actually. people will just I'm watch it with that question. I'm actually less worried about the normies in that regard um, from like, if it's different, they'll go, oh, I don't like it. I think that like, if you can generally get it to feel like a movie, the normies won't care. Yeah. I think like- That's okay. That, yeah, I'll give you that. That's fair. I, I think I think that like the, the film people would get bothered. Yeah. If, if like your edit wasn't airtight. Mm -hmm. Mm hmm Yeah, I feel like YouTube is relatively forgiving with things like that in general. Like that, that was the thing with Dollhouse was like, Lots of people are like really, especially like, like entry level filmmakers get really, really involved <laughs> yeah. with like style. Like it's got to be super stylish. And it's like, dude, just how about you make yeah. it look like a movie first, and then we'll talk about style. Like, so like Dollhouse was like, let's just make it look like a movie, and then yeah. Yeah. everything else is secondary. Mm -hmm. Was it? Um, well, you guys mentioned earlier about budget. I'm just curious. Is this like the biggest project you guys have like led, like a creative yeah. project? Yeah. No doubt. Yeah, it, it was definitely, I mean, it's, 
since we were since our background is mostly in you know using video making video game movies and working with voice talent it's just like it's the it's the same thing you're just working with people but on a much larger scale so i was kind of already in my element the only difference was it it was just a lot of people to manage and i was wearing a lot of hats like i was in charge of like all the wardrobe like i had to i had to make god i had to outfit all the operators uh after we did the designs for their weapons and their masks i had to like i painted all the masks all the guns uh had to make custom vpus those vpus on the front of their masks are pbc filters or couplers and uh drain strainers like they're not real (laughs) didn't we just like didn't we go through like a bunch of different like ideas of like how we were yeah get them to be attached to the mask yeah and i I just ended up hot gluing them (laughs) yeah we just said fuck it and hot glued them which really worried me because i was like man but i I, glue yeah like i was prepped on set though like i had i had like the glue gun i had like paint because like paint was (laughs) you can see it in some scenes but the paint does chip off a little bit on it and you can see some of the white so i was mm. carrying around like paint in a brush with me at all times to like fill it in i missed <laughs> it a couple times but you know whatever uh but also had to make like all the cultist masks um like i sewed all those by hand oh wow like all those are made by hand um they look literally nothing like the doodles i did by the way they just look like masks yeah because we like... started with one idea and then we started doing something else and it became something completely different which whatever yeah, I think it they was, look fine. Yeah, it was for the delivery. Uh, people were pretty satisfied with them, like re- audience reaction-wise. Um, and most of the other like cool stuff, like the effigy, that was all done by my our uh, production designer Corey Hinesley, and she also made the peel and stick uh, graphics that were on the wall that the camera could see. Mm, like, yeah, fucking brilliant. Um, it was all like vinyl stuff. Just peel it off, stick it on. They're about a foot by foot wide. Uh, same with the the mat that Pender was sitting on. So at least that was off my plate. But I had to manage a lot of stuff, and we were moving at light speed <laughs> the entire time because we had five days and two hundred shots to get. With oh my days. god, yeah, it was bad. <laughs> it's ridiculous. It was a it was an extended cocaine binge. Yeah, I was, like, we, we had a guy show up late. Well, actually, no, he showed up to replace our key grip because our key grip could only be there for two days. Mm-hmm. And we're, our military advisor, he's, like, setting up the guys in front of the house for that drone shot where we see them approaching it. And this random dude just comes walking down the sidewalk. And this is, like, I think, day three, if I'm not mistaken. And I've been drinking those Bang energy drinks. And if anyone oh, has gosh. ever had those, like, it wires you really quick. So, like, I stopped the set, like, who the fuck is that? Or whatever, you know? Because, like, we're on a hot set, and there's a bunch of, like, heavily armed dudes. And just Fight or flight guy. instincts immediately fall uh, out yeah, of nightmare. And, and like, I'm, like, I'm, yeah, like, I'm all wide-eyed. My hair is, like, a mess and greasy because I had really long hair at that time. And I'm just, like, this is my first impression of this guy, is that I just look like a coked-out dude just shouting at people. Uh, so that kind of gives you an idea as to, <laughs> like, the level of intensity of, of how we were kind of running things. For the audience's like uh, perspective, since they're probably not super familiar with film stuff, can you tell them just like what a normal film day would normally be compared to like what you guys are doing, like the amount of shots and things like that? Usually, one you have time and money. That's really what it boils down to. Uh, when you have those two things together, uh, it's usually pretty smooth. Um, we had a shot list 
and everything like we had everything organized mm-hmm. it was just we fell behind the first day by a couple hours because of a wardrobe issue mm-hmm. and that's what created problems um, on the camera yeah and the fir- and for some reason the uh, recording monitors we were using their firmware was messed up and was reading our uh, wireless transmitters as additional monitors so we couldn't get picture in video village oh, so my, my first ac couldn't pull focus so we had to rely on yeah we were originally going to shoot this on the nikon z6 because it, it mm-hmm. had a 10 bit signal but it's autofocus in video is terrible so we decided to switch over to the sony a7 III because it had uh, facial recognition and eye recognition so it would keep our subjects in focus and i wouldn't have to worry about it Wow, because we didn't have yeah we didn't have a focus puller the entire movie. <laughs> even even with mask on, it was still able to recognize like eyes and uh huh. Wow. Yep. Yeah, it, it was it was insane. If we had people like if we had actual like actors delivering lines and not doing dubs, I'm pretty sure this probably would have been something that would have taken maybe a two week time frame. Uh, okay, so that's but, a, that, that's that a would, fair that point. Yeah. Co- yeah, and that would have cost definitely like three times the amount. It would, probably wouldn't have been too dissimilar from an episode of TV. Yeah. Uh, because, and I know like another thing too about this is that since we were moving so quick and we had such limited time, uh, I wasn't able to do all of like, the cool lighting stuff that I wanted to do. So most of this movie mm-hmm. is all shot in natural light for the exception of like four scenes. So that was mainly just the time thing. That's why that, why you guys did that. Yeah. It's, yeah. That's, that's really it. Yep. They like, our budget was $23,000 and literally... 80% of that went to locations yeah. uh, and then catering and VFX. All the crew worked for free. Like they volunteered wow. and they were, that's they were awesome. like, yeah, like, yeah, that's cool. Got, like, Cause most of them, they all worked on dollhouse. So they knew they weren't wasting their time, you know? <laughs> so, uh, I'm, and some of that money also went to paying for the materials for, you know, the effigy and all that, like that effigy shot cost us a thousand dollars. Yeah, so actually speaking about that, I mean, A, I was shocked that you guys did that, like, for real. Um, but B, how did you guys go it's about that? It's not even plot relevant. It just looks cool. Yeah. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> you just made it I up? I literally came it? up with it when I was like, so the, where that begins is, like, kind of funny, I guess. But, like, as a writer, I think you need tools for brainstorming. And one of my tools is video games. Um, whenever I'm finished like a large chunk of work, I usually play a video game and it has to be a video game that inspires me. Uh, I think the last one that I played was Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines, which, God, that's such a good game, even if it's busted as hell. And like one of the ones that I like to play the most before we, if we're like planning out something like Overlord is, I, I think I played Ghost Recon Wildlands, which isn't a great game or anything, but it's sort of like. I could just sort of walk around in that space and just think about shit. And I remember, like, I was... There's a photo mode in it where you could just, like, you know, detach the camera and go take pictures of stuff. And I'd, like, shot down a helicopter, and there was the fire in the background. And it, there was just, like, a windmill or something in the background as well, and it had that sort of rural aesthetic that we were doing for Overlord. And I was like, man, what if we got a shot like that for Overlord? And then I just sort of tried to figure out an excuse to get a shot like that in Overlord. <laughs> And then that led to the effigy, and we were like, okay, well, what's the effigy going to be? And I'm like, okay, well, uh, like, we sort of had to retrofit it. And I think yeah. the, the effigy was Steven's idea, like, the, the actual look of it. Yeah, because you gave, because like, what I had to work with was the triangle and the three, the Venn diagram, like, the three circles. 
So I had this thought that since the anomaly um, at the end was the tentacles holding people, and I kind of thought, like, you know, like, what if it was you had the triangle on top of this one single plane, which is, like, our reality, and then underneath it you had all of the these spokes coming off, and they're all, like, all these little stick people are kind of hanging off, and mm-hmm. that just kind of is a little bit, like, a subtle, like, foreshadowing to the end on how they're floating. Oh, um, okay. And... Originally, I was like, oh, yeah, let's just use dowel rods. And then when I took it to my production designer, she's like, well, so how big do you want this to be? I'm like, uh, let's make it like 12 feet tall and 10 feet wide. Like, this thing was gigantic. God. Like, it doesn't look that big on camera, but it was huge in person. <laughs> and and she was like, uh, okay. And she built it, like, out of, like, there were there were two by fours. Like, two of them, like, put together. Like, it was, it was a thick, uh, uh, effigy and we she made it in different i think it was four pieces and everything was like pre-drilled and everything so all we had to do was just take lag bolts and just assemble it okay yeah we we put it together in like 30 minutes and then we wrapped it in burlap soaked it in diesel the day before came back the next day hosed it down with diesel again and then kerosene and then uh because kerosene for the accelerant because diesel Mm -hmm. has a very low flash point um, don't use gasoline. Yeah, do not use gasoline. And we had we had a firefighter consult us for this. Potential too. pyrotechnic filmmakers, do, just don't fucking use gasoline. Just don't do it. Yeah, I've yeah. seen gasoline explode before because somebody wanted to use it to accelerate a fire, and it literally exploded. And it wasn't that much gasoline, yeah. so just don't do it. Because diesel, the it's the liquid that's flammable, not the fumes like gasoline. And oh, okay when we had our so Basan the, uh, the character Basan his real name's John he's actually a firefighter and an EMT and we were asking questions prior to shooting like hey what if we mix diesel and kerosene kerosene for the accelerant and then diesel for it to burn hot and long and he's like yeah that would work and I said great and it was kept it isolated the whole area we raked all the dead grass out of the way um, and we had the whole area like uh, we, we wet it down because there was this little pond right next to it. So we made sure that that area was completely wet. And then we lit it with a blowtorch. Took like seconds. And then our pyrotechnics guy ran out of the way. (laughs) And then we- It's so fast that you can see it actually still trying to like subsume the the effigy. Like it's, you can see it like clearly in an early burn in the shot because it just went so quick. Wow. And- Which, yeah, some people notice that. Which I I think it's kind of cool though because it kind of shows like how how they like could have just have missed Pender lighting the effigy as he mm. was like would be like running back. Um, so I was I was okay with that. And the uh, what else was there? Yeah, and it was like a forty second shot. And then everyone showed up with fire extinguishers and put it out, and that was it. <laughs> one one shot. Oh wow! Only, no retakes. Only nothing. one digital enhancement with it, which is the embers. Yeah, yeah. Clay did. Mm-hmm. I had a feeling because I was like, those embers look too perfect. Yeah, but they're pretty though. I'm like, so, they're I'm nice. Sorry. Yeah, they were too perfect for you. Cause like, I hate being a pain in the ass, like backseat director. But when I saw the shot, I was like, "Man, we need to add some more shit in the frame." And yeah, I hate like, saying that because everybody's like, "Bro, just shut the fuck up. Shut up." Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I remember I sent it like, cause cause our buddy Chad was there. He was there doing BTS and uh, like just assisting me with personal stuff and. He sent the shot to Evan, and then the feedback I get is, I don't like it. We're like, all right, well, this is what we have, sorry. (laughs) 
So like, to be fair, he sent me one still, and it was like a bit awkward. Okay, it's just oh, okay. He didn't tell me that. or something. Right. I didn't actually see it in motion. Okay, all right. He didn't. He didn't specify that. That's fair. That's fair. So you guys, we kind of touched on this really briefly, but um, were there like specific things because of the coronavirus pandemic that like really slowed things down, or like really unique hurdles you kind of faced because of that? Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> uh So we were supposed to shoot in March. Um, yeah. And everyone was freaking out. My argument was that, like, that was when cases were pretty much non-existent in the United States. Mm -hmm. And, like, we had people that already had their plane tickets ready to go. And I was trying to tell everyone, like, we need to, like, do this now before there are more cases. Because nothing's happening right now. And most of my crew backed out. And I was like, screw it. Like, we'll have to Yeah, there was really really no argument we could make that would change their minds. Right. Mm -hmm. And it was like... (laughs) <laughs> the ironically most of the crew nowadays are just kind of like over it and they're like ah. dude like there was something yeah, about yeah. like there was this there was this incredible hysteria that sort of took over everybody in march yeah like towards the end of march people just went insane yeah like there was this idea that like the next person you touch is going to give you the virus and it was like right it just it overcame the entire psyche of the country and I wasn't like like my claims weren't baseless either. Like I was watching the the numbers. Like I wasn't just gonna blindly go like, oh yeah, I'm gonna put you all in harm's way. It's like no. Like we like I had the number like the the case numbers in front of me and everything, and I'm like, look, like there aren't. Like, my argument was like, know, look, and, this right now is the safest you're ever gonna be. So pushing it back to summer isn't gonna make you any safer. Right. That. But but you know people are were scared, and I was like, you know what? Fine. Like we'll we'll push it back. Uh, and we'll, we'll see what happens to see if things kind of like let up and whatnot. And then June came around and things, well, as you already know, were worse. Yeah. And I basically just kind of came to them and I said, listen, um, if we're going to do this, we need to do this now. And you're either you're with me or you're not. Because like I'll just go do it myself. It's it was basically one of those, which I know it sounds like like a kind of dickish, but it was we were under a lot of pressure at this point, and we made sure like the say like the set like we had uh, <clears throat> from my knowledge like everyone was tested and no one had anything, and oh, okay. we had hand sanitizer all over the set and everything, so if people wanted to wash their hands they could the talent was wearing masks like 90 percent of the time like, <laughs> as you can obviously see in the movie yeah, yeah everyone's wearing masks <laughs> so <laughs> uh and the crew had their own uh they had their own separate place to stay uh i stayed with the cast at the shooting location um but everything was managed pretty well like no one got sick so i think i think we handled it pretty well even though most of us were kind of savages, like we're, we're, you know, like ready to rough it, ready to go, ready to get it done. But yeah, it was, it was definitely like decision time at that point to kind of just make the call, like, all right, are we going to do this or not? Now it did work out in our favor to, to some extent. The unfortunate thing was that most of the cast was wearing like early spring clothing yeah. Not mm-hmm. summer clothing. It was fucking miserable, dude. Like, you all like, know why everybody's masks were <clears throat> fogged up to shit? It's because they're not legit gas masks. And yeah, like holy fuck, bro! It, it was insanely hot. 
Yeah, we want, like, the original look, we wanted to go for, like, which we kind of achieved it, like, was, like, mainly, like, browns and reds, you know, mm -hmm. kind of like that fall look. I was basing most of the cinematography off of uh, the look of 1917. Oh, that nice, okay, yeah. that nice dense fog and everything, and yeah, cloudy I'm, I'm weather. Bring that up, because like part of like the entire aesthetic for the cinematography was like really centered around let's do it in early spring when all the, all the like trees are brown, and we'll get that nice sort of like that really awesome sort of horror feel that we could get out of that. And so I was really worried that it was going to really destroy the look of it by like going to summer, and the saving grace, of course, being that well. A little fog goes a long way, I'll just say. Yeah. yeah. And by little fog, I mean a lot of fog. <laughs> Hold for fog. A considerable amount of fog. Yeah, there, I, like, there, there's a lot of fog continuity errors between a couple shots at the beginning, which I don't care. Like, I, I do know, like, that opening sequence, like, we were, we were going through really quick because we were burning daylight. Mm. Um, <clears throat> but that definitely helped out and it, it turned out all right it, it worked out too because uh, a few of our cast members had some personal stuff come up in march so it oh, actually worked okay. out pretty well we also had more time to flesh out the look of the characters and we also got a couple additional sponsors as well um uh mechanics gloves being one of them so that was cool did um, they just um, well, one of the thing is, is like whenever you're whenever you're like sort of through it everything's sort of like trivial in retrospect because like obviously the fears passed but mm -hmm. i tell you what man the levels of anxiety were unbelievable like it felt like because whenever you do any kind of filmmaking it's about minimizing as much chaos as you can so you can have as much control as possible yeah. Yeah. but it felt like everything in the world was just conspiring to make as much disorder as possible e even right up until like a few days before it was like oh the biggest riots in American history happened. It's like, great, fuck it, you know? That too, just throw that on the list. Great. Yeah, like, it was... Like... I, can, I mean, I, I, I try to be a reasonable person, but with this, like, with what Evan said, it's like everything was being thrown at us. Which I know kind of sounds a little self-centered. It's like, oh, the world doesn't revolve around us, like, obviously. But yeah. I also don't... I, <laughs> I don't like... Well, I was, uh, I don't, I don't, I was like, man, I, if we could have had a pandemic, could you have done it, like, next year or something? Yeah, <laughs> right. Like, but I, I was... I don't like... I don't like losing. And it doesn't matter what it is. And, and I was I was so asphyxiated on, like, we're going to do this. We're going to get it done. And it's going to be fucking awesome. And I don't care what gets in my way. <laughs> it was kind of, like, my, my whole... Uh, my whole outlook on it and a lot of the people that were involved too that were on set like we we had a we had a pretty modest crew uh mm -hmm. like i think we only we only had like for most of the days we had two grips i had two acs one assistant director script supervisor and that that was really it and a PA like it was a skeleton crew but like yeah. it was we only had four people for dollhouse but dollhouse was all in one location um well but I mean well two locations but you know it was a little bit more not this scale <laughs> but yeah with it much out of the elements yeah and, and with this like we didn't have cell service where we were oh wow so we actually had no idea like what was going on in the world either like we like within those five days something could have happened and we would have had no idea <laughs> so, so uh but you know we got it done because after that it was just all right cool back to isolation and just 
put my face on my screen for four months, which is exactly what we did. I just think it's insane how how long post production took as well. Yeah, like that was like it legit wrapped like early in June. Mm-hmm. It was like done, and then I remember when you got back, you were literally you started cutting it like almost as soon as you came back. Yeah, I've made this analogy before, and it's not a perfect analogy, but it certainly in, like encapsulates the feeling, and it's like. Filmmaking is, you, you spend like one or two weeks just making a mess, and then you spend the next two to three months cleaning it up. Like, that's that's literally what it was. Yeah. Like, with we even had, like, some missing... There was a couple shot like, there was missing coverage that I didn't even realize. Mm-hmm. Like, when Lam- like, when Lambert gets his throat opened in the, uh, on the second floor. Yeah. That whole shot was actually supposed to be done in one take but we didn't have enough pressure in the uh, blood tube that was rigged in his in his uh, his camelback in his plate carrier <clears throat> um so the blood wasn't shooting out the way it should have so we had to digitally enhance it and i had to add the shot a close-up of him holding his neck and the blood shooting through it but with all that going on i didn't get a single of cicero which i wish i had because then we could have extended the shot a little bit more because the shot when he looks over that's that shot is like super wide like i was pushing the 4k file to its limits like that like i i think i punched in like to where basically the image is hd at that point Mm. oh wow and just to kind of make it work yeah like like there was a lot there was a lot of uh you know editing black magic fuckery that we had to do to make to make sure that anybody who like well. gets up their ass about like at like rep like resolution at all costs has never actually worked before because like dude if you've ever seen like actual feature films and tv shows like they crop all the time oh yeah i, they, they, I noticed like some crops in fucking band of brothers most most huh. films too are delivered in 2k yeah so it's yeah so Speaking of post-production, what would you say was, like, the most time-consuming out of everything? Like, that ate up a lot of time? Because for a lot of people here, they don't really know all the steps of post-production and, like, actually what happens. Let me let me see. So, let's see. We wrapped in June. Okay, so July gets to... So, we were picture-locked uh, by August. <clears throat> so, okay. sound, I think, began... Sound began mid-August. So from mid-August to now, I would say sound took, what, like three and a half months? Wow. Or so. Yeah, something like that. Was that especially because um, of, like, the fact you had to dub over everything and stuff like that? No, it, it was... There was just, like, like I mean, yes and no. We we had uh, on-set recorded sound, um, mm-hmm. like, not while we were rolling that would have been impossible but like we we went back and we got like more foley and stuff we actually mm-hmm. borrowed most of our assets from dollhouse for a lot of the stuff oh, that's but um i guess i mean i'll let evan take this one since he and dan did most of that well it's just detail work because like once you like there's things that sort of don't occur to you until you've placed a sound effect like you don't even pay attention to certain things until one sound effect gets put in like as soon as one gets put in then it calls attention to the things where there are not sound effects and then you just like end up having to stack detail after detail after detail, and it's 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 incredibly time-consuming work because not only do you have to like because placing a sound effect isn't literally it's not just putting something into a timeline, it's matching it to the spot in the in the video to the movement, making sure that it's a good sample, and then 
Then you have to audio locate it, which is a combination of volume, panning, and reverb. Then, like, you might even have to layer it as well, because, like, the gunshots as well were, like, that's, like, three or four layers per shot, uh, plus shells, and plus the actual mechanics in the gun, which are also part of that. Like, after that, you've spent, like, a considerable amount of time on that one thing, and it's just, that's, that's most of what you're doing. There's very few, like, and you can't get lazy, otherwise, like, you really notice. So you have to put that amount of effort in every single freaking thing that's in the project file. That's, that's really it, man. It just takes forever. Then you have to do, like, a mix and make sure everything sounds good in the master project, which by that time you've got, like, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of tracks. Everything takes forever to load and export, and hmm. it's, it's just pure tedium. That was you and Dan, right? The, the music? Yep. For anyone who doesn't know, uh, the sound was a partnership between myself and another guy named After Infinity, also known as Dan. And he he sort of did like a ton of demos, like I think almost a dozen demo tracks, and then broke those up into samples. And then I would sort of go through them sometimes and, and take like a sample out and then build a song off, the, off of that. I did that for stuff like one track early on, and then uh, a few different tracks later in in the in the runtime because i did i did all the music in the second half except for the very end is all me and all the music in the beginning is dan and the reason that was partitioned that way is because dan is a much much more experienced musician and like so those were the most important tracks to get right so i figured i would give those to him and whereas everything in the second half i knew was just going to be score elements and i could do that easily because that's what i did in dollhouse hmm. I guess if there was any one thing that I did consciously, it was that, like, uh, if if you do any kind of filmmaking, you can't do it in a bubble. You always have to do it consciously aware of every other film that's already been made. And one of the, one of the things about that that is completely true is that the audience has an instinct for what you're doing already. And this is especially true with horror. I'm sure everybody knows about the sort of patterns that exist in horror scenes where it's like you have your tense music then the tense music dies down and then you have your dramatic moment and it's like an audience is extremely attuned to that language and so I didn't want to do that so I basically did it backwards so you'll like the my initial version when I was when they're going upstairs and they first see the guy in the camera was like, okay, well, I could I could have cut the audio on that wide shot where, sort of cut the music on the wide shot where they're just walking up to the door mm-hmm. and then had like a dramatic riff whenever you see the movement in the camera. But the audience would have already been in the mode of like, oh, something's going to happen. And I didn't want to do that. This is a reoccurring thing in Overlord is like, instead of going to no sound and then suddenly introducing a sound, it's usually having your tense music and then cutting it suddenly because the audience is completely, like, th- th- there's fewer people that are tuned to that language, because that's 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 quite unfamiliar and quite unusual in horror. So it, I think it, it makes a lot more, it, sorry, it's a lot more shocking when something does happen, because the audience isn't really, they're not in that mode yet. So when you introduce it, it's a lot more unexpected. To piggyback on that, where the audience is kind of, like, the average audience is already, like, used to certain horror elements, like jump scares. One of the most common uh, comment that I was that I've been seeing is a lot of people appreciated it for being creepy, scary, and thrilling without the need to have jump scares in it. Because I don't think there there aren't any jump scares in this at all. 
Uh, I'd say there's sudden and shocking things at points. But yeah. I wouldn't classify them at all as jump scares. Yeah, like nothing where it's going to be like some really loud like drone out of nowhere. Yeah, it doesn't like take up the entire mix. Right. And I think if you're able to, you know, keep your audience tense without having to do that, I, th- I mean, I, I think if anyone can do that, like you, you've succeeded at pretty at making a pretty decent horror flick what you're supposed to do is just make the audience not know what you're going to do next yeah because you need to show them that you're willing to do a lot and you just need to make them know like okay they're they're willing to do anything and and then you just have to you just sort of have to go against their instincts where to the where the point where they stop trying to predict what you're going to do do you have like specific films that kind of helped you with that um none for this I, I don't think I can think of a direct film like that I cited for this in terms of like the way it was paced. I'm sure there's like a couple things for a couple different parts, but like not really that I can think of. As far as like the look goes, um, most of my inspiration was mainly for camera movement was studying some stuff from uh, 1917. And as far as the overall look goes, since most of it was natural light, was... Uh, most of Roger Deakins' work, mm-hmm. uh, I like to. I really like studying his work, particularly uh, No Country for Old Men. Mm-hmm. Is probably one yeah. of my favorite films, uh, like just dramas in general, and also like one of my favorite ones that he's ever shot, uh, because of just how relatable a lot of the uh, settings look, and that's something that I really tried to do with this is to try to keep it as grounded as possible. Like, I mean, it. it the plot itself is really absurd. Like, there's a lot of absurd things. That yeah, it's completely in. ridiculous. But, like, it's like trying to translate. It's like, all right, how do you take something that's so, you know, I mean, like, I don't want to say stupid, but like, kind of, it's, it's, it's yeah, it's like it's absurd. It's kind of it's goofy, you know, and and then keep it grounded where you can sit there and go like this. This seems real, you know, and. Well, it's, making... it's contrast. The, the, the thing that I wanted from the start with, like, every single SCP thing that I did from, like, forever ago was, like, the, the ridiculous shit was meant to contrast the, the realistic stuff. Yeah, like, because I wanted people who are going to be watching it to kind of, like, whenever you see them, like, walk into a room, I, like, if someone has a room that looks similar to it, I want someone to go, like, oh, that kind of looks like my living room, you know? Mm, okay. So then cool. you could... I mean, not to be too far up my own ass, but like if someone's like walking around their house and kind of like, I want them to be reminded of certain scenes from this. If they were able to, you know, create any direct correlation to the setting, to their own personal, uh, you know, like either their property or home or whatever. And I think doing that, like keeping it grounded and relatable to people, I think will only kind of heighten, you know, the suspense and the fear as they're watching it. That's that's sort of the thing, by the way, and I've 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 been thinking about this a lot, not not as much lately, because I've already sort of come to my conclusions about it. But like, there's um, sort of in a like an almost an almost debate, I'll say, in in film and specifically in writing, but I think you can extend it to a lot of things. Of like, is film supposed to be realistic? Mm-hmm. And a lot of writers would straight up say no, and to some extent, I agree with them. Uh, where I disagree is there was a particular writer who I admire who said that. Um, you're not supposed to write characters that are supposed to talk like people because you might as well make a documentary. And to some extent, I agree from what he's trying to do because he writes films that are like 
you know, they take place in the real world. So what you're supposed to be making exciting, which is what you're supposed to do for film, it's supposed to be exciting. So he, his goal would be to make exciting characters, and those people ought not to be realistic, because they're supposed to stand out. But for something like this, I think that the realistic stuff, like, I think it, it, it helps to make the characters somewhat realistic and have very lifelike dialogue, simply because it's, like I said, meant to contrast the ridiculous things. So the things that are the dream elements of film exist exterior from the characters. That's what I'm getting at. Okay. Because I, I do agree that I think film is like almost like it's it's a pocket universe. It's a dream, and you sort of have to, I think, respect that it is that. Like in trying to also like not go too over stylized, something that I kind of try to make my my trademark, I guess, for lack of better words, because it's like because well, like, I've been thinking about that a lot too, because like. I, I, because I hate I, think, so, I hate source lighting, like I it annoys yeah. the sh- it annoys the shit out of me, especially in like day for night scenes, where it's like there's clear like I mean it, it works. Watch it, any Tarantino yeah, movie, yeah. you just see source lighting everywhere. <laughs> yeah, I mean like it, it works, it works depending on like if you have your own pre-existing canon with your stuff. Like Tarantino, like all of his stories apparently take place in the same universe. And they all have a pretty much like a, a pretty consistent style to it, so it's like okay, when you look at it, it's like it's a Tarantino movie, whatever. Yeah. But with like I try to you know with me trying to keep it as grounded as possible, like I don't want some like obvious like whenever you're in a room and it's dark, right? And you have like okay, you have your lamps and your practical lights, and there's just this random like above light coming from nowhere. You ever notice that, like, in movies, it's like, where the hell is this source, like, this light coming from? Yeah, I remember seeing a really egregious example of that. I can give one right now. Like, I, like, I hate it. I hate it. I was it. watching a Guy Ritchie movie, and, like, some character walks in, turns on the fucking lights, and you can see, like, there's this big light fixture in the middle of the room, and it's in the middle of the fucking frame. And above that, you can see light coming down on top of it, and you're just like, oh, oh yeah. come on. Yeah, I remember, oh, yeah. Come on. <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about, yeah. Because it's, it's like... And even with, I mean, <laughs> with the basement scene, it's, yeah, it's obvious that we had to use lights for it because we didn't have a low light camera at our disposal. Well, we did, but I didn't know it was there. Um, we didn't have one at our disposal. Otherwise, I would have tried to make it look like ambient darkness, like Dollhouse. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we just opted to go for, like, we're going to have to do stylized lighting, kind of like a, a little, like a little bit of Zero Dark 30, but not too not that dark you know um which i think with with that context i'm you know i'm willing to like take shit for that but for like even like exterior scenes when like the background's completely black but there's like this one source of light coming from the trees it's like oh cool well there's a there's an 1800 watt lamp over there just blasting through you know no big deal (laughs) you know uh which yeah Again, like it's it's a stylistic choice. It's not one that I like. I don't like source lighting. So trying to go the you know the natural look to try you know just to refer back after this giant tangent to try to keep it as grounded as possible is something that that I like to do while tr- attempting to translate whatever it is that Evan gives me. Well, I I I want to make a, a point because this is something that's sort of really been on my mind and like I, I remember we briefly touched on like 
the mentality you should have if you're going to develop a style. And there are some directors where it's like, you, you, you see their movies and you instantly recognize that that's them and like, it's almost their brand and it's central to them. This has been something that's really, that I've really been thinking about and it's, um, I think, like, a, like how would you, how would you define, uh, like the nature of like the goals of art? James, how would you, how would you say that like, like what is it supposed to be? I feel like it's so like differs on so many people. I mean, if you, I guess if you I know that's really an extremely loaded question, but like I'll give you a commonly accepted sort of version of it, which is that it's a form of self-expression. Do you mm -hmm. find that disagreeable yeah. at all? Yeah, because I feel like there's a lot of art that gets that people just use the self-expression as an excuse. I feel like it has to communicate something, and if the audience isn't able to receive that message, you failed. Like that. Sure, um, but I think that's technique. Well, okay, yeah, um, so okay. Because I also realized there's certain audiences that are would never understand it, and there's certain audiences that would understand it. So I guess that's also knowing your target audience. Um, okay. Hmm. Well, I am getting more alienated with the idea of art being exclusively self-expression because I actually don't think that it should be. Because, like I was saying before, when you make anything, it's always going to exist in proximity to other works of art. It can't be self-contained. Um, it's always going to exist within the meta structures of art. So like, you can't sort of disconnect from that and really have a lot of success in art. So you have to be consciously aware of it. Mm, and yeah. I think that whenever it comes to the questions of style, you could say, oh, well, it's self-expression, but it's like, I think what you're doing is that you're, I will say, it is always a self-expression of interest. Art is invariably, you're expressing interest. You can't get away from that. But for certain stylistic choices, I think that, I think that it is about the duty that you have to the craft that it should be about. Because whenever you're going to make a stylistic choice, it always has to be in service of the story. Yeah, if it doesn't do that, then what's the point? Mm -hmm. um, in the end, I think that in like the mentality that at least I'm sort of moving towards is like I, I don't want to like get a ridiculous ego I don't want to make because if it's about self-expression then everything you're doing is just about you and it's like well you're probably not that great you're probably just <laughs> as flawed as everybody else and so yeah. it's like okay well what is it about and to me it's about like well what can I do to honor the craft that I'm working I know this seems so fucking high-minded for somebody who hasn't really done anything that important yet but it's it's something I've been thinking about because um, I think that uh, if you can at least I don't know it, do what you think would be better for the craft as a whole instead of for your own brand and for your own ego I think it's generally better for everybody and you don't sort of risk getting all the way up your own ass which is something that okay, I worry about yeah because I, I... you don't want to get you don't want to get too certain of of yourself I guess mm -hmm. I feel like a lot of artists and directors end up really starting to suck when they really think they've made it and they're great and they're the hottest shit and then well, I, I don't want to sort of psychoanalyze every director I'm I, not yeah I'm no, just, I, just I throwing out examples I haven't done it so I, I do I don't think it's very important get ahead of myself to stay grounded though um, in general regardless of what you're doing like even for your own mental health um, like like my whole thing too is like I, I 
like I've always been overly critical of my own stuff so it doesn't matter like at what point that I'm at I, I'm always gonna just think it's like nah my stuff's not good and it's like it's never enough for me <laughs> so <laughs> I was just saying like, uh, it could have been better yeah like it's it's always there's no there's no it's completely impossible to master filmmaking and the reason why is because the technology like well, number one the technology is changing like every six months there's always something new mm -hmm. and there's always yeah. a technique that's going to come out and there's always going to be a different style that people do and it's uh and and since like everyone's like vi on the visual side anyways everyone has their own you know spin to however it is that they do stuff so it's like you're like okay well some people like Tarantino's like cinematography some people like Michael Bay's cinematography or Christopher Nolan's I remember there was a, a, a uh, joke that I was told when I was younger it was like how many how many photographers does it take to install a light bulb and it's like five one person to install it and four people to talk about how they would have done it right <laughs> yeah like, cause, okay. because it's it's there's not there's not really like there there is a right way to do it like you you do need to know how to like you know how to light and you need to know composition there's a million right ways to do it but there's also a million wrong ways to do it is how i right. see it mm -hmm. yeah because it's like once you know all the rules and stuff then you can start implementing your own like you know spin on it and then you know when to break the rules so it, it's all it's a giant contradiction and it's really annoying and makes zero sense until you start doing it and then you kind of go oh okay like i mean there's a bunch of shit that yeah. i still don't know that's 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 a really important point to get to actually is like when people hear, oh, there's rules to it, they go, oh, come on, it's it's art, there shouldn't be any fucking rules. And it's like, well, they can be broken, it's just that you have to sort of respect the rules first before you can actually break them correctly. Mm -hmm. Because, like, early on in, in a lot of my terrible machinimas, I was breaking the rules, but I didn't fucking understand any of the rules, so, like, it was right. terrible. Right. I was doing it completely wrong for so many years, and it's like, my shit just looked terrible, and none of it worked, none of the editing worked, and it was like, well, it's because I didn't respect the rules first before I broke them. And there's just certain things about the way people intake media that, like, you just have to take into account. Yeah, it's like you're, you have to... It's like you gotta have... <laughs> like, you have to be thinking of every single detail at all times while also disregarding them. Like, it doesn't make... It makes zero sense until you start doing it and you fail a lot and it's all trial and error at the end of the day. Like, like there's no... Because, like, I've had people, like, ask me on Instagram after Overlord came out. They're like, oh, like, how did you get to where you are? And I'm like, dude, I don't know. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> I just made video game movies and all of this was just convenient. Like, because Evan, like, I was, ta I was talking to him about it a couple days ago and he said, like most if if you watch any interview with any filmmaker all of their their where they got to where they are is all unique to them there's no yeah, yeah it's all completely yeah, unique there's, there's no one size fits all like journey into any kind of industry right like this the only yeah, thing i could say is that you just have to want it like that's it like you just have to you have to be so like uh elitist to your own content like in in the sense of like you have to be so critical of your stuff where you have to, even as you're doing it or whenever you complete uh, like a shoot, like you have to know like, all right, well, here are the mistakes and now I know what not to do. Well, I, think, I think a better way to put and that would be like, you don't settle. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, never, never settle, ever. Mm -hmm. Like it's like, for me, it's it's never not enough. Cause like the moment you, the moment you settle, like, and, and like that's death. Yeah. So I feel like you have other questions you'd want to ask, though. I feel like we've been on this topic for a while. Yeah, no, you got me thinking a lot now. 
But moving on, uh, what was it like working with Clay? He seemed to have a really pretty big role. It was very easy. Yeah. Yeah. To to it was it was pretty pretty seamless to be honest because there were we we actually added a lot of shots um, from the original one. I mean, and of course, you know, we, we paid him for it. Like it was one of those things where we already had a pre-existing VFX budget and we'd ask him like, Hey, like, can you do this? Like, do you have time to do this? He'd be like, yeah. I'm like, cool. How much would you charge? And he would give us a number and be like, yeah, sure. We'll do it. And it was like the turnover time was like what? 24 hours. And we'd have like a shot. Wow. Like, yeah, it was the, the workflow was pretty quick i think we we kind of got most of the vfx placed within i want to say three weeks or so yeah all the important shots we got yeah and then like after that like while we were after we were picture locked and evan and dan were starting to you know get like prepping for sound it was just after that it was just fine tuning it's like hey can we adjust this can we adjust that uh but with it was it was kind of convenient too because he has his own fan base because of 096 mm-hmm. um and both of our fan bases have like the they've been calling for us to do a collaboration so it kind of worked out pretty well probably too. isn't the level of collaboration that was being asked for but it is still a well, certain amount yeah, of collaboration yeah like it, we uh it was just like with him already being familiar with the universe that we're working with he was kind of already invested in it like he was he's he was excited for it before he also we, yeah he also already knew us so which, which yeah, is nice yeah and he was already yeah. excited for the project even before we approached him for it and when it was like hey uh are you free you want to do this he's like yeah <laughs> and it was kind of <laughs> convenient because he he was also transitioning to freelance yeah and mm-hmm. it was like oh cool so you have a bunch of time great and it was yeah like zero complaints i i I would definitely work with him again uh it was and it was whenever there was like if there was an issue with a shot be like hey can you fix this it was like immediate he'd be like yeah i'll get on that right now uh so i i was pretty satisfied with a lot of what we got especially okay so (laughs) fun fact the scene where they find the missing posters so Mm -hmm. there there are actually in the background and off to the right of the screen like if you if you go back to that shot off to the right of the screen there are two trees in the background the posters on those trees and there are two posters way far in the back in the woods those were digitally added by clay oh cool because the original yeah in the original shot like evan was like man i wish we had more i tried i I tried different tracking software to try to get them on there and i couldn't do it so i think it was maybe i was it was maybe i felt i was really bugging people because that shot really really bothered me yeah because it it didn't it didn't have the effect that i wanted which was it's you know it's it's a fairly it's punched in quite a bit so like the effect is like you don't want it to come across as okay there's a couple of missing posters over here you want it to make it seem like there's probably more off mm. to the side of the frame so if they're not encompassing the entire frame it doesn't get the effect across like quite the way you'd want it yeah. and i i thought i was going to have to settle but yeah clay hooked us up yeah like it was it was like maybe 5 days before we were supposed to like have a final render for the premiere (laughs) and i texted clay i was like hey uh could you could you see if you could put some posters on here like do you have time to do that he's like yeah i can do it tonight i'm like all right and then he he sends it to me he just nails it perfect i mean well there was a roto error that he fixed like 
immediately after I pointed it out. But like, mm-hmm. other than that, like the track was fucking flawless and I couldn't believe it. I'm like, what the hell? Like, what did you use? He's like, oh, I use Mocha. I'm like, I use Mocha too. How the hell did you do <laughs> yeah. that? He's like, oh man, you just got to know how to finesse it. I'm like, that doesn't tell me anything. <laughs> that means nothing to me. But okay. Like, well, he's been was, doing, where people oh, don't know, he's man. been doing VFX for years. Like, he, this is yeah. his full-time job for years, so. It was, I was, I was a little, I was a little salty because I was like, oh man, I, I really do suck. <laughs> cause like, cause I did, I did some of the minor stuff like mm-hmm. the, uh, like the, the, like the cultist when you see him through the camera for the first time and the doorway, like, I, I mean, I was just using the puppeteering thing in After Effects. I had no idea what I was doing. Like I was winging it. Yeah. I'd be like, yeah, it looks cool. Great. And even the first shot when they go into the room and then they see the guy by the window and the drapes and he moves out of the way that mm-hmm. shot like oh we went through a bunch of different versions of that one none of that is real that's actually all one giant stitched uh panoramic oh image. wow sick and i well yeah it, it's because it's deep fried and it looks like yeah it helps. that's why you don't yeah. notice so i added like you know lens distortion to it so whenever the you know there's a digital pan uh you mm-hmm. see the lens distortion and that image of him moving was actually a recycled version of the hallway scene on the first floor where the cultist is on the ceiling. I just used that same clip oh, of him okay. on the, against the blue screen. And then I mm-hmm. used the puppeteering in After Effects to just kind of move him to the side. <laughs> so it was all a completely... A, a, the whole shot was completely fabricated. And everyone bought it so i was like cool i mean until now people are gonna go back and like go like oh, I yeah I, like, mean, i was just thinking you know that. or whatever yeah. but it's like oh, i got you anyway so well that's the nature of vfx yeah. people don't see it if they're not looking for right. it. right yeah it matters yeah like there, there's a there's a lot of stuff we actually had to reshoot some stuff too like the oh boy did we ever like the opening scene the shots of the two foundation agents those were those were reshoots uh, hmm. There were the reversals and close-ups of the guys. Like most of them were actually all shot on location. Um, the montage sequence we added later. We shot at a later date. The hangar scene that was okay. part of the briefing montage was added at a later date. And the uh, <laughs> the cultist walking into the doorway. We drove three hours back to set to get that shot. And oh, then wow. I got. Yep, got the got the hallway shot of the ceiling where you see the the smoke move when it <laughs> runs across the fucking ceiling. I was so happy. I w- we drove three hours to spend forty minutes back on the set, and then we left <laughs> <laughs> just to get the shot. Wow. And it was like, oh, worth it. Great, we got it. But isn't it a nice shot? Yeah, no, yeah, it is. It's so necessary to the edit. The funny thing is, is that that ceiling shot is the one that caused the most amount of issues because there was like a bunch of tracking problems with it hmm. but then we then we nailed it like we, we eventually got it uh but it, it turned out really nice did you guys use like tracking marks and stuff or like i had i had kinda... blue x's like tape on the mm-hmm. ceiling and on the walls and stuff and then obviously tr- tr- uh, clay painted them out but for some reason the tracking software wouldn't find them so he had to do it by hand yeah okay so one <laughs> tangent most tracking software fucking sucks with markers it's a pet peeve of mine you basically have to use like infrared reflectors. Those are the only thing that like kind of work. Yeah, um, they did that with the with the Irishman, and I thought that was kind of an interesting technique. Yeah, but I'm not gonna get into that. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's a Mr. Clay I, kind of discussion. I ILM is king. Um, well, okay. Yeah, so yeah, I, this yeah, is that's a, the other thing. There was. Oh, okay, what's up? Uh, well, I was just gonna mention like there was 
like you can plan the shit out of your movie but there are so many emergent things that are going to occur that are going to completely change your ideas and you have to roll mm -hmm. with the punches so like um we didn't get a shot of the mortars landing at all we just didn't so, oh yeah <laughs> like and and it wasn't in the script that there was going to be one it was going to be some wonder where like you it's looking out the window and then you see the mortars landing and then it was going to pull back as the guys were moving downstairs and it was going mm -hmm. to be sort of swift because we could do it with a fog machine it would be easy we could use sound effects bada bing but uh that didn't happen so that's another shot that's completely constructed in post so the we've actually re we actually used the uh, a shot three times in this so the first time whenever we cut to outside and we see Vaz's character, the TL of the inner cordon, the security team outside, and the camera pans to the left and then we see the house. Mm -hmm. So we use that shot three different times. That was the first time and then the shot where it slightly moves, pans to the right, was just reversed and then that's when we see the guy oh, wow. when we cut away, gets pulled into the trees. But I used that same shot. I took a mm -hmm. frame of him where we were on him and then I I put it into Photoshop and I used the content aware fill and and cop, cropped him out and then stitched it with the shot a static shot of the house whenever the camera pans over so we could see the trees moving and all that kind of stuff mm -hmm. and then I put it together into one widescreen shot and then when I sent it to Clay I'm like all right man add mortars and stuff but make sure you you do it on the right side of the screen as quickly as possible because there's a lot of discrepancies <laughs> that I need to hide behind the smoke. And then I did a digital pan uh, to the left, and it, it worked out pretty good. But yeah, that was a that was a that whole shot was completely fabricated as well. Wow. Uh, and and it worked like it definitely. And, and adding in the uh, the drone shots before that, where they're calling in the artillery, was just. Uh, the recycled drone shot from the beginning when they're approaching the house. I just mm. used used the shot from earlier on before they entered the frame and then just did some different keyframing animations and stuff just to kind of add room for dialogue and everything. And it, it it definitely paced it out pretty well. It set it up for to go into the final act of the film and I'm pretty happy that we, we went that route. I just want to be I just want to be rich enough to not have to solve these kinds of problems over again. Yeah, it's just like winging it, man. That's that's what that's what that's what I normally do. That's what we kind of do. And it's just like, oh man, we're screwed. And it's like, oh wait, no, we can fix it. <laughs> yeah, this yeah, nine hundred IQ idea. Yeah, <laughs> out of nowhere, and it's it's definitely like when you're doing like any like when you're when you're doing your own independent stuff, like it's a lot of guerrilla tactics you have to do. It's a lot of problem solving on the fly, and if you can do that then i mean you can you can pretty much do anything because that all that that bs that you had to deal with on this film will carry over to the next film so you're like oh i know what to do now or something similar to it okay so it actually reminds me were there specific lessons you learned from dollhouse that carried over to this um don't make it dark yeah and people on youtube don't like anything that's dark <laughs> yeah uh, I, Everybody I, watches their shit on their phones. The only thing that I had to do was just try to not cannibalize my cinematography. So, like like the raid sequence, I didn't do the same... Th I, I tried to not do the same thing that I did last time, where, like, you see them go into all the rooms and blah, blah, and all mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. Like, I wanted to do a long take, you know, just to, so you can see them all go in and do their thing and whatnot. Uh, but tried my best to not repeat stuff so people just don't go oh doll, uh, overlord is just dollhouse with a budget 
Yeah. Which you could argue kind of is, <laughs> but uh, that was one thing that I, I didn't want to, uh, I didn't want to do because otherwise I'm not going to learn from that. Um, I would say probably one of the biggest things is just, like, I mean, I, this is carried over from literally every film that I've done the past three years is just uh, plan for more time than needed. Like I wish, I wish I would have just went out of pocket and booked this location for an additional day. Mm. What we wouldn't fucking give for like another day or two. Yeah. So I'm definitely gonna. I I like I, I and I say this every time, but I definitely know for the next one we're gonna take way more time in pre-production and really overshoot like the amount of days <laughs> that we're gonna take to to shoot it, just so we have more than not. You know. Yeah. Yeah, you, you kind of owe it to yourself every time you make something to do an autopsy afterwards to be more efficient next time, mm-hmm. not make the same mistakes twice. Yeah. but Because, like, I'll give you one right now straight off. It's like, my ability to communicate the script was incredibly weak, and I need to work on it next time. I felt like mm-hmm. I, I failed in a lot of ways as a screenwriter, and I need to remedy that next time. Because, like, there were th- certain lines that didn't come across certain ways that like I wanted it to be blocked for the to get the performances across that didn't that didn't register I just didn't I didn't do my work and I need to do that next time is that yeah. specifically like how you wrote the actions and things like that or just the dialogue well just like where the characters position what they're doing in a conversation and like certain yeah certain actions like could have been communicated better and, and weren't so hmm. okay yeah, like the open, like the scene in the woods when Kulinski and Cicero walk back to the group, like that. Apparently, they were the rest of the group, with the exception of Kulinski, should have been more in a line, and all of them looking at Kulinski. Because if you listen to the dialogue, it's like Kulinski isn't, uh, he's not given as e- he's not given equal attention within the group to everybody else. It's everybody's focused on him and what he thinks about the situation. So it should be like them across from him looking at him. And not in a circle, because it's about, like, you know, they're interested specifically in what he thinks about the situation. And so it would have been easier and probably more efficient to just shoot them across from him. And then you can have the TL come in next to Kalinsky, like, from his, like, single. And if you wanted to cut to a wide after that, fine. But, like, you don't sort of end up with a lot of the problems that the scene has, which is the sort of awkward shot-reverse shot between him and Bassan that occurs that could have been remedied but like whatever Mm. just put it in the script next time like because evan was supposed to be there but they shut the borders down so he wasn't able to make it they sure did that's still closed by the way yeah because he was supposed to be here just dating this video to kind of like uh what is it um like be like hey like this is how this like this is where they need to be placed and be like okay and then go from there um, but I mean, for the next one, what we're just going to do is that like, luckily, uh, the guy that played Jansen, Corey Haynes is actually an artist and he also does storyboards. So I was like, what? Oh. I didn't know this. All right. And tell you that. Yeah. Yeah. He does. He does storyboarding and shit. So he, I asked him like, Hey, uh, I want you to help us storyboard the next one. He's like, all right. So we're definitely going to like use storyboards next time. I usually have a shot list. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, down to like yeah, the, t- the type of lens that I'm going to use and like mm-hmm. the description of the shot, but having a, uh, having a, uh, a storyboard will definitely help because then if we can look at it and go, uh, no, we need to add a shot in here or whatever, 
Plus, you can you can run the storyboard through an edit to see if it cuts well. Right, like do and you can like do an animatic. You can do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good. Which we which one of my buddies has countless times told me that I need to do that, but I've just been too lazy to do it, and it's bit me in the ass a couple times. But you live and you learn. So here we are. But definitely with the, the next one, we'll like it, ho hopefully if we secure enough funding, uh, we'll be able to really go the you know the, the whole mile like really like you know really go balls deep <laughs> <laughs> well so i guess you kind of are already alluding that do you have any specific plans after this uh to not yes but i don't want to talk about it yeah i right. can't really give too many details about you it you gotta wait folks are <laughs> no yeah. you guys just kind of i'll say we i'll say this uh, we we have plans, and we've had plans for a while, even like predating Overlord, of like of another SCP film that would be like the sort of last one we would do for YouTube. Mm. And it's it's going to be developed, but it's going to be a little while because we have to do something first before we do that. So once that's out of the way, I can sort of go back and and, and like finish that script, okay. which is a pain in the ass. It's one of the hardest scripts I've ever had to fucking write. But it's cool. Cool, yeah. It's, we'll it's gonna cost so much money. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure it's gonna cost a couple bucks. Overlords really got the word out about you guys. So far, it seems that way, at least. Yeah, it would seem so. Like it's probably gonna go past a million today. Yeah, we're at nine hundred sixty-seven thousand. Still going. Nice. Uh, we're recording so. this in November for people listening. I'm wondering. Um, but uh. I, okay, so you briefly mentioned this. I was listening to your uh, Q&A uh, stream. Um, I think Steven mentioned this, that you guys are actually premiering at a, uh, was it the Tampa Film Festival? Uh, yeah, so uh, the Tampa Bay Underground Film Festival, it got accepted to, to that. Um, uh, I was talking to Reggie, who runs the venue, and he was telling me that uh, it's probably going to be just like a digital uh, type thing unfortunately okay. so yeah, yeah i mean I, uh, if it was gonna be in person i was gonna be there but uh that's that's just not gonna happen unfortunately but I, I have a lot of friends in film down there in florida and some parts of atlanta uh and usually we try to make the effort to submit our stuff to there as much as we can because one it's fun two it's you know it's a nice little competition so yeah are you do you guys ever plan on doing an actual physical theatrical release like just like a small little thing for like locals or anything or not? Well, Steven? Well, I mean, eventually, yeah. Like, I, I want to make blockbuster films. Like, I mean, we're we're probably going to... Wait, no, no, James, are you oh, asking specifically yeah. about a screening for Overlord? Yeah. yeah, it's like a little thing. Oh, well, yeah, we already did that. We we oh, did okay. it cool. uh, last week, last Wednesday on the 11th. We had a screening for locals and the cast and crew, and we actually sold out, which was cool. Oh, awesome. um, and good reception overall uh, a lot like everyone there liked it so and we had a few veterans in the audience too that commented on the some of the accuracy one of them was like you got it 90 percent correct and i was like all right i'll take it i'm cool with that you know <laughs> close i can think of i've mentioned this a lot it's like um whenever you know something and you watch a film about it and you could just tell if like if they just like whoever wrote it just literally didn't know anything um, what, as an audience member, if like I say I watch a historical film, if I can tell that they put in like most of the effort and it's mostly good, I'm generally happy. Yeah. I'm like, okay, you at least tried. What I, what pisses me off is when they don't try. 
So, like, I'm willing to settle for, okay, at least I tried and I got it, like, mostly good. A few things slipped through the cracks, fine, whatever. I'm not going to beat myself up over it. Well, just a quick mention, history buffs, I think they're a good example of that. For people who don't know, he basically will review historical films and then kind of break down how accurate it is, but he's very much like Evan just said, where he keeps in mind that, like, sometimes you need to take creative liberties or things like that for the sake of the film. Um, Very good channel. Yeah, yeah. I highly recommend it. Like one of the things that that we do is that we don't. All of the creative decision making is just between Evan and I. Um, we don't let we don't let our producer see anything until it's done. Oh wow! Like we don't. Yeah. Like even on set, like if someone has a creative like decision, I I mm -hmm. I usually say no. I go. Uh, who are you? Like, <laughs> who the fuck is this guy? It's more. It, it's more like I mean, unless that person is there to provide some form of accuracy to the storytelling, mm -hmm. I usually shoot it down. Like, but I, now I'm reasonable. I'm like, I'm not like, oh, I'm holier than thou or anything. Like, if someone does have a good idea, I'll be like, oh, good idea is good idea. Yeah, I'll be like, yeah. all right, yeah, sure, that sounds cool. Let's do it. But for the most part though it's like no don't worry about it we already have it uh mm -hmm. is usually what i say and whenever we're editing it like i show i don't really sh show anyone anything because it's it's just like evan and i are growing filmmakers like there's a lot that we mm -hmm. don't know but we know enough to where we know what we want we know what we need to do to get it done and adding more cooks to the kitchen isn't going to, to do anything. If anything, it's just going to create more conflict and it's going to, you're going to start mixing other people's visions that don't have anything to do with what you're doing to the mix. And then you're going to get some, I don't know, some Frankenstein ass looking thing. So <laughs> Which, I remember who said it, but like, I remember hearing somebody say like, you, what you're what you're trying to do whenever you show this to somebody before it's done is you're trying to you're trying to just like figure out the symptoms so that you can make the diagnosis. You don't let the patient give you the diagnosis. Yeah. So like you you need to sort of go okay well what's not working and how can I solve it that's like cohesive. Mm -hmm. Just don't don't worry too much about like their solutions. Just figure it out on your own. Because there because some some person's solution might be too personal to them, and they might not be thinking big picture enough. There have been times where I've been on other people's sets where a producer will just kind of float in and give like some half-baked idea and the director just caves and I'm just like, what the hell's mm. like, what is wrong with you? You know, so like, it's like, it's like, this isn't your movie. Like your job is to literally just find stuff for me. That's it. Like, sorry, Karen. We like you. Like, no, I mean like, like. Steven didn't mean that. <laughs> I'm sorry, please. I mean, like, like our, our producers on here, like, uh, like, uh, Tony and Karen, like they, they knew exactly what they were there to do and they did it very well like everybody I, likes karen yeah, yeah no karen's great never had that's why i work with the same people because i never get any yeah i, I never it no one that we work with is annoying mm -hmm. is one of the things that like that i try to try to look for out of a crew you don't have anyone that's off in the corner like mm -hmm. just talking about something volatile and it's just going to make people mad because they're up their own ass and you don't have anyone wasting time or someone going like I would have done this differently it's like you're there to work yeah. everyone on the set knows their role they know what they're there to do and they get it done and with us like e even when, when we go to like investors and stuff like we tell people like listen here's the deal like if you're interested give us money cool and we will deliver but you're we're not making your movie mm. we're making our movie and that's that's usually like how 
we just want to get everything out of the way and make sure everything is black and white so there's no uh there's there's none of that like oh well you owe me kind of crap later you know what i mean have you yeah. ever like worked with people like that before because like I, i've worked with people that have done that to me and i'm just like yeah they don't fly with me sorry <laughs> you know Mine's and definitely toxic crew members and i've definitely had like crew members like butting in on like creative things and it's like they're kind of like two months late for this dude yeah it's i I make it a point like day one to establish like you're here to listen to me and that's just how it's going to be even though they're everyone there's like they're voluntarily and i greatly appreciate that but i only like to work with people who are really good at their job and uh but there were some people that I hadn't worked with, like more on the, like on the talent side, and like I was, <laughs> I, it was, it was very, you know, uh, was try- I was very stern with everyone up front. Um, I'm normally pretty lax, like I mean, mm-hmm. I don't even have a filter when I'm on set, like I swear like a sailor, as you've probably already imagined. Um, yeah. But I'm polite as much as I can be. But when whenever someone's like stepping out of line or whatever, regardless of what it is, it's like no. Uh-uh. We're here to work, get it done. Um, and I think if you're able to have control and command of your set in that in that way, uh, mostly even even if your set is chaotic, like Overlord was pretty chaotic, but we had we had a wrap on it, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and we were able to get it done without any additional problems like little minor problems here and there for the most part most people that were there especially some of the season grips they're like it was fine i was like man it was a shit show and they're like nah dude you're spoiled like it was all right <laughs> i was like okay yeah the film got done that's not a shit show yeah, yeah like Seriously. it was just like there was <laughs> like two of the night vision props actually broke and we had to improvise. Like one of them, like whenever I was taking it out of the box, just flew out of my hand and hit the floor and exploded. Oh fuck! I was like, oh cool. And I think it was like day four. Uh, John's character, Basan, they were going down the stairs when they were gonna have like that encounter on the first floor with the dude on the ceiling. Mm-hmm. The bungees on his helmet ripped his nods in half. But thankfully, like, dude, there were so many act of God moments that happened on this set, like where it was just convenient that it worked out. Because the first time when the nods broke, it's like, oh, wait, Jansen's character's using, you know, foundation versions or whatever. Mm-hmm. And whenever John's things got snapped in half, oh, David's character's dead. We can just use his. Like, it was just like everything okay, yeah. was way too convenient, like going through everything. And I was like, what's going to happen next? It was, <laughs> it was like the fear. Like, is the is the condor lift outside going to collapse? Is someone going to, like, have a light fall on them or something? Or, like, what's going to happen? Somebody going to die? Yeah, like, it, it was, like, it yeah. was just, it was that extra added stress where you're like, things are going way too well right now. What's going to happen? Yeah, we're getting, we're getting way too many, like, we're, Free, we're getting bailed out by, yeah, by luck yeah, way, a few too many times. Like, a lot of this was made on just dumb luck which is really fun. I mean, I, I still think it's funny, like, looking back on it. Uh, but if, like I said earlier, to complete this tangent, it's a lot of problem solving and keeping, you know, a tight grip on your set and a chain of command and everyone knowing their role. And, know, like, and, and, and also, like, if anyone's watching this, it's like wanting to get into film and stuff. If you have someone that you're working with that is up their own ass and is like butting in on your creative decision. Don't work with that person because they're mm-hmm. they're going to be annoying. Like 100%. Period. 
They're going to. It's going to be a constant problem. Yeah. It's not going to go uh, away. That yes. type of person is a coattail rider. Okay. Like I do not tolerate that. I have I have cut out. They're not a team player. Yeah, I have cut out so many coattail riders over the past couple of years, and and it's and it's one of those things where it's like you have to just understand. Assume like no one knows who, no one's your friend, and no one knows who you are, and and, that, and that's how it is, because it's like that's how. Yeah, getting legit people that are like your friends, making films with is is, it's a blessing like you can't understand, and it. it is not an easy thing to get. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm in the mid, in the Midwest, in the middle of nowhere. It's like, dude, you live here. No one knows who the fuck you are. Like, you know. You think that that would foster an incredible amount of cooperation, but it does not. No, I like, no, I, no. I hate it when like local people have like this stupid ego and the holier than thou, where it's like, I know I'm good at my job, but I know I have room for improvement. Like, pull your head out of your ass. I don't want any of that. And don't be afraid. I, I would say also, don't be like if you have you know your own little crew and you do your own thing don't be afraid to voice your opinion to people like that's i wish i, I wish i would have had someone tell me that a long time ago because there have been many times where i've just been silent and it's annoying mm-hmm. if someone's being annoying or unacceptable like call them out like what are they gonna do <laughs> you know so that's that'd be one thing that i would say like if you're, whenever you're working on your own set or someone else's set i don't know so, I, I feel like like the some of the best creative teams you've ever heard of are like they they really butt heads constantly but that's what makes the good shit like if oh like, yeah like if you've ever fucking seen or like any any documentary on queen like oh yeah every time those guys worked they were they were had each other's fucking throats mm-hmm. man constantly yeah like evan and i yell at each other a lot <laughs> like, it's like like, like it, it's like it's not like i it's not like i don't like Steven or don't appreciate Steven it's just like no we just you're 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 trying to like really make a point and you're doing it for the, the betterment of the project so you're you're not going right. to let it go until you're convinced and I've been happy to concede many times if I've found that I was wrong like I, I take things like I, I take things personally and I'm trying to like work on that like there have been times where like we'll get in a shouting match and I'll just like I have to step away for like a few hours because I'm so mad <laughs> and then and then I'll just go like fuck he was right like god damn it <laughs> so, <laughs> because like because I mean in the product shows like the fine like you know and it's like oh here it is it's like yeah like this whole film is like basically made by like someone saying like listen motherfucker just like shouting at each other or whatever and and then poor Chad in the background just like eating popcorn watching his parents fight you know <laughs> and it's like like it's it's definitely that's just how it is because um, we don't we don't like to settle now I mean of course there are sometimes there are things that I wish were there I like Dutch angles Evan doesn't <laughs> well, I'm with Evan on that I, did, I, I, had this, <laughs> I had this really cool shot in Dollhouse that had this cool camera it wasn't that it was a Dutch angle that I didn't like about the, it there was other things the camera yeah. dollied in and then it went to a Dutch angle like it looked fucking cool but he was like out of context i think it looks fine yeah but he was like no like with the way that the entire film is stylized like the shot stands out too much i'm like but it's so cool but then i was like but then i sent him killing your darlings is so important by the way yeah it's definitely like the the one thing that i've learned because these are the two films that we've worked on together we've we've worked on another one that (laughs) that fucking blew up in her face but the leftover money is what funded dollhouse so it was a blessing in disguise Mm -hmm. but 
killing killing your darlings is definitely something that we've learned over the past year and a half or so. For anybody who doesn't know exactly what that means, if an, if you love an idea but it doesn't quite work with what you're doing, you have to get rid of it, no matter how much you like sure. it. And here's the thing about ideas: is like if you don't use them, it's you can keep it in your arsenal for later. Yep. You, you you can use it another time. You don't have to use it just then. Even if even if you really like it, sometimes sometimes mm -hmm. it's just not the right thing to do. Uh, well, okay. Before before we wrap it up, is there anything you guys want to shout out? Any specific people you want to thank? Uh, I want to thank me for sticking through it. Yes. <laughs> Powerful. I think I did a yes. good job. Evan all by himself up in Vancouver while we're out here. It's like Evan's basically like that Squidward meme where he's like looking out the blinds. And <laughs> Bro, honestly. You see SpongeBob and Patrick run. It's like, it's oh, like me at home while everyone's working on SCP Overlord. It's like literally. Everybody kept saying like, dude, you don't actually want to be here. It's hell. And I'm like, I don't, I don't care. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I don't know, man. I mean, it would have been great for like extra input, but like, <laughs> I feel like you would have like said some nasty things to someone but uh yeah i mean like like cast and crew man they they fucking killed it like they all uh i mean the environment was literally hell it was hot as shit outside uh the interiors were I just want to stress by the way there was not a single aspect of this production that wasn't hell yeah, like it was every single part of it except for maybe the screenwriting was was, was a complete pain in the ass. Yeah, it was like there like even after the first day, like I just I just sat in my room for like hours, like through the night, thinking like how how are we gonna catch up for tomorrow? And the second day ended up being a sixteen hour day, and they just they just sucked it up and they did it, and it was awesome. Um, so the cast and crew, like even like you know there was even a handful of them like flew in from other states to be a part of it and everyone worked That's for crazy. free i cannot stress yeah. that everyone worked for free and that was something that we greatly appreciated because if i'm gonna give a shout like, out to anybody i'm gonna give a shout out to Corey. oh yeah okay so Corey, uh who uh, like again he was jansen he was <laughs> so greg wong was supposed to be his character for those who don't know he ran into some uh some problems in la uh a week to before we uh we're going to start shooting and he wasn't available to be there. So Corey Haynes was a last minute replacement and Corey is a cop um, and had to basically ask off for that entire week. The, wow. this is when riots were going on, by the way. Yeah. During, during the biggest <laughs> right. event of civil unrest in America. So whether or not he was going to be able to make it, depending if there was a riot in his city was we're rolling the dice. We had contingency plans, but still, and, uh, <laughs> he he finished his shift at like night at night drove overnight to set showed up when we were starting to start shooting and then worked another 12 hour day wearing full gear a real airframe level four plates didn't complain once wow fucking madman <laughs> like we couldn't believe it <laughs> we're just like bro are you all right he's like nah, i'm good it's great. It's just like deployment. I'm like, all right, okay, cool. <laughs> you know? Fucking insane person. Yeah, because he, 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 he was one of our uh, advisors as well like uh, on the set because he, he uh, he's led like 200 combat missions overseas as well. Wow. So, okay, wow. Yeah, absolute man. Dude, you, you don't know what it was like. Like a week before, it's like, oh, the, the point man in the group is predisposed and we can't get him. Okay, well, we need somebody who has military experience and is also like able to come out for a week right now 
Pretty pretty narrow population to pick yeah. from. I mean, you basically saved the shoe, right? Yeah. Um, I would also probably give like a big shout out to uh, uh, to Corey Hinesley, our production designer, because that effigy was it was fucking great. Like shout yeah, out to Corey and Corey. Yeah, yeah, both Corys and uh, Tony. My UPM. He had a broken foot the whole damn time. Wow, man, you guys really. Like, uh, yeah, like he, he was. He was like you know got all the catering together. Was maintaining like all the scheduling and all that kind of stuff. Um, and like you know, in the rest of the casting crew, man, like like it was it was hard work. You know, like the grips and the gaffer Ellis, like they fucking killed it. Like dragging this. I'll say this has also been out. some of the. Some of the smoothest uh, production with the the voice actors as well. They mm-hmm. they did their lines pretty quick. Everybody got their stuff in within under two weeks, I believe. Wow. Um, and I was very happy to also get lines in at a timely manner from SP Illustrated, who did his lines very well. Only had a couple errors that we did reduce for, and then um, everything was clean. And Skepter one one. Yeah, he said Skepter. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was really funny he said that. And, um, but like, I, I didn't have to wait. It's like, oh, God, like, I'm sure he's doing shit. So it's like, and I was happy that he was, he was, he wanted to be involved because it's like, you always, you, you can't sort of avoid the, 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 uh, the hierarchy of YouTube, specifically the sub count hierarchy. Cause every time you're going to approach somebody who's a bigger mm-hmm. YouTuber than you, it's like, do you actually want to work with me? Cause I don't have as many subs as you. And yeah. so when they're always when they're when they're actually down to like work with you, it's it's always awesome. Yeah, he's a super yeah, nice guy. Yeah, like yeah, like Drew, he he like volunteers like, can I be in your next one? Or like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think I asked him. I was like, hey, you want to be in the next one? He's like, yep. He's like, absolutely. But I think he might have mentioned like, hey, yeah. if you're doing this again, yeah, yeah. I don't remember how that went. Exactly. I, re- I remember when he got to set, like he was so excited to be like, he's just, dude, thanks for calling me out. I'm like, I should be thanking you for being here with for us, you know? <laughs> but like coolest dude ever like just he's just like a guy which is great a lot of youtubers would have brought their fucking ego to set i tell you what but drew did not do that he did everything he was supposed to do and he did not complain uh, but as for me though um i usually post a lot of updates especially for anything that evan and i are working on on my instagram so if you want to follow me at retro digital media you can keep up with the stuff that we do there well uh thank you guys so much for coming on again huge congratulations considering everything you had against you guys and you still pulled it off. Like, round of applause. Thanks, um, man. Yeah, thanks for having us. Like, it was, it was a lot of fun. I've actually, I've also just been really wanting to come on after I saw your guys' the first thing you did, like, a few months ago. Yeah, I no. Like, I want to be in one. <laughs> the si- the circle's complete. Uh, yeah. Well, make another film, and then you can come back on, okay? No, <laughs> oh, no, no definitely, yeah. Absolutely. I'd be like, hey, dude, what's up? Sweet. Well, thanks, guys. Um, yeah. Thanks. No, thank you. Thank you for your service. Bye. Bye. Peace.